uh, man, it's just uh, it's just an honor for me to be here this morning, especially on, on Father's Day, right? What a special day uh, to be here um, today, and uh, and really, fathers, parents, man, they're they're important, right? Everyone is is impacted by the by the father in their life, either for good or for bad. Uh, a lot of people have opinions, uh, you know, on parenting, on 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 how to raise kids. Um, and, uh, and really parenting advice is, it's not hard to come by these days, really both solicited or unsolicited, right? Like, you know, I personally have never been pregnant. My wife has been pregnant. Um, but uh, we have three kids, uh, 10, seven and four. And really all you have to do to get parenting advice is basically be pregnant. And people will just be like, well, let me tell you what you need to do. Right. So like, thank you. But I, I don't remember asking, um, you know, you don't, you don't have to go looking for parenting advice to get parenting advice. Uh, but if you do go looking for it, uh, Amazon alone has over 50,000 parenting books available to you. So, I, you know, I did the math real quick. If you were able to read one parenting book a day, it would take you 136 years to get through all the books that are available on Amazon. And listen, if your kids are still living at home after 136 years... <laughs> There's, there's no book in the world that's going to be able to help you raise your kids, okay? But so many of those books, they, they claim to have the answers that you need, right? They, they have taglines like, just follow these 12 steps for a new kid by Thursday afternoon, or implement this 29-point strategy to revolutionize your parenting philosophy, or feed your toddler these seven superfoods to change their behavior and teach them to read, right? They're just like... Some of them are a little more sensational than others, but, but almost all of them claim to make parenting easier. But even if you were to spend your life studying the world's way of parenting, the volumes of information available don't hold a candle to the simplicity and the truth of God's Word. I have a quote here from um, Baxter's Explore the Book, and I think it will be up on the screen for you. It's not in your study sheet. But uh, I came across this while preparing for this message. It says, this library must not be measured merely by number of words, but by its depth of truth, by its breadth of fullness, by its superiority and finality. The Bible may seem very small against the imposing shelves of many a large library, yet with this one volume in our hand, we may stand within the largest library on earth and truthfully say that all the tens of thousands of books therein collected cannot teach us more about the fundamental realities of the universe and of human life than we learn in these scriptures. Amen? While the world has all these steps and strategies to make parenting easier for you today, we're going to take a look at scripture. And from there, I believe the Lord has given us some very clear advice that will result in what would be a picture-perfect family. we got three points today, two steps, and though it is simple... I'm not claiming it to be easy. Parenting is hard. It takes work. It requires attention and energy and resources. And so in the chaos of raising kids, God has given us a simple formula to ensure that our children go in the right direction. Um, A formula is an equation used to describe the relation between two or more variables. And you may be here this morning and... You may be thinking, look, it was my understanding that there would be no math. And I'm with you. Math is not my strong suit. You can just ask my wife. She has an accounting degree. 
However, out of everyone in my household, I'm probably the second best at math. So there's Katie, my wife, and there's me, and then there's my daughter, Emma. But she's going into the fifth grade, so she's really closing in on me. All that to say, this formula is simple. And it comes from the book of Proverbs. So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the book of Proverbs. We can start Proverbs uh, 1. We'll be jumping around a lot in the book, um, but go ahead and, and, and open up to the very beginning of the book. A lot of those uh, verses will be up on the screen for you. But a proverb is a concise, yes, uh, yet potent statement, right? It's full of wisdom and instruction for life. We're familiar with a proverb, right? We hear them everywhere to the point where many of them become cliche. We find them in our fortune cookies at the Chinese buffet, Uh, We see them scrawled across a bumper sticker on the back of someone's car. Some of us grew up uh, with with these proverbs being repeated to us over and over again. I know my dad. I know I did. You know, to honor my dad on on Father's Day, I thought I could share some of the one-liners that he would share with us. And um, uh, you know, he always had he always had some wisdom for for any statement or for any situation. He always had some some statement to go with it, right? So whether he's trying to teach us something around the house, he would say stuff like, you know, if it doesn't fit, don't force it, right? We're going to try to put something together and we're going to break it if we try to force it in there. Or, um, you know, when he gives us a task to complete, a job to do, he says, if you do it right the first time, you won't have to do it again, okay? Or my personal favorite, and this one's probably, you might have heard, you know, similar ones, uh, but this one is, uh, this one is strictly... Uh, for the Warner household, if we were complaining or fussing about something, my dad would say, be a Warner, not a whiner. Okay? I love it when I get to use that one on my kids. But Solomon wrote the majority of the book of Proverbs from the perspective of a father to a son. And so I figured it would be appropriate for us today to take a look at some of the wisdom that, that he had for his son. And that's going to become uh, quite evident here shortly as we get into the book. Uh, but the Proverbs we're looking at today, they were divinely inspired and preserved for us today. We can, say, we can see all that they contain for us in the first seven verses of the book. And so let's read, let's read those together. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. It says, In the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, To give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Since we're looking at the book of Proverbs uh, for a formula, formula that will lead to a family the way that God designed it, our title for today is the proverbial formula for the biblical home. And so we're going to take a look at each of the steps that God has laid out for us. Again, very simple, not always easy to implement. You have to work at it. Uh, but before we get into it, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and uh, man, in the midst of... of uh, of our culture today and, and even what we celebrate today, Lord, I pray that we would never forget that you are our Heavenly Father and that you care for us, you love us, uh, you instruct us, Lord, you correct us when it's required, uh, Lord, and you do that through your word, by your spirit. I pray that that's exactly what you would do today. Lord, teach us from your word, guide us from your spirit. Let uh, let everything that's said today be honoring to you. 
We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so the first step in the formula that we're going to look at is, number one, to render instruction. Render instruction. Look at Proverbs 1, 8 and 9. So right after that passage we just read, My son, you see who he's addressing? My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace under thy head and chains about thy neck. So render instruction to your children. Or we might say it like this, disciple your children. Disciple your children. We know that from Matthew 28, and we looked at a little bit of this yesterday, that discipling is just, it just equals teaching. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we would call this the Great Commission. You guys should, are probably familiar with these verses. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Here's what we have to understand. The Great Commission begins in our homes. It begins in our homes. And as parents, we have the biblical responsibility to teach our children. We have the biblical responsibility to teach our children. I shared some of these concepts yesterday with the, the kids' ministry volunteers. And so... For those of you that were here, you know, forgive me if this is a little redundant, but we only have our children for a short time. And what we teach our kids in that short time will literally set the direction for the rest of their lives, let alone their eternity. If we are faithful in this one area to instruct our kids, we set our children up for an existence of purpose and unspeakable joy and peace that passes understanding which ends with the promise of everlasting life. But if we fail in this area, we risk leading our kids down a path that is filled with woe and heartache and potentially ends with the eternal damnation of their souls. Parents, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic. In fact, I think I'm, I'm underselling it. But listen, God Almighty has entrusted you to render instruction to your children. You have the unique responsibility and the privilege to shape your child by what you teach them. So the question is, what do we teach them? What should we teach them? Well, without a doubt, it's the Word of God. It's God's Word. Um, look in Deuteronomy. This is Moses' swan song to the Israelites before they entered the Promised Land and he went to be with the Lord. Deuteronomy 4.10 Especially the day that thou stoodest before thy, uh, the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. I know that diligence is, is kind of a theme for your church this year, right? We're commanded to diligently teach the Word of God to our children, not just in church on Sunday mornings, but in your homes, every day, through your life. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen through 19. Therefore shall you lay up these, my words, in your heart and in your soul, and bind them for a sign upon your hand, 
that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them your children. Speaking of them, when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. Every opportunity, every occasion, be diligent to teach your children the word of God. Look at Second Timothy three fifteen through 16. And that from a what? From a child, referring to Timothy, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, and which is in Christ Jesus. From a child, Timothy knew the Bible. He was taught the Bible. Look at verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. We'll come back to that. And for what? Instruction in righteousness. Our instruction must be based in the Bible. Our instruction must be based in the Bible. Let's go back to Proverbs and look at the father-son relationship again, where we find this in Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. My son, keep thy father's commandment. Forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart. Tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall uh, keep thee. When thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp. Whose commandment? Well, back to verse 20. Father's commandment. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light. Whose law? Back to verse 20. The mother's law. And reproofs of what? Instruction are the way of life. I want you to take note of that phrase right there, the way. Instruction are the way of life. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But first, what does verse 23 remind you of? The commandment is the lamp and the law is a light. Psalm 119, 105, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So when we compare these two verses, we see that the parent's instruction and the word of God have the same result. So that tells us that our instruction must be based in the Bible. Now, back to that phrase, the way. The way. This phrase kept coming up as I prepared for this message, and I I think we should take a minute to look at it because there is clearly a direction that we want our children to go, right? As we have hopes and dreams for them, we envision them when they're old and have a family of their own, Right? We, we, we want them to go down a certain path, to live a certain life. We consider it all the time. We want to make sure that they go the right direction and make the right decisions. We want to prepare them for life down the road. But more importantly than what we want for our kids, God desires a direction for them. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. The way, one way. Psalms 32.8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Notice over and over we see the way, not a way, because there is one way that God has laid out for all of us, and that way is Jesus Christ. John 14.6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. Parents, if this is the way for everyone, then the way that we are going should lead our children in the way. We saw something similar back in the verses uh, in Deuteronomy. The words that we're supposed to teach our children, we saw that over and over in Deuteronomy. 
we see that it's, those words are first meant to be found in our own hearts, in our own lives, before we can teach them to our children. Look at another father's instruction to his son, Proverbs twenty-three, twenty-six. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe what? My ways. Let them observe my ways. Now that's a powerful statement right there. To make that claim. To say, listen, if you want to go in the way, then you can follow my way. Parents, if we want our kids to be led in the way, then we must internalize and exemplify God's instruction in our own lives. We must internalize and exemplify God's instruction in our own lives. So that you can say things like, my son... You want to know what it is to love your wife the way that Christ loves the church? Look at my ways. Follow me. You want to say to your daughters, my daughter, you know what it, you know what it means to reverence your husband? Watch what I do. Right? My children, do you want to know what it means to be a member of the body of Christ? Then follow me. Are you comfortable saying that? We have to internalize God's word. We have to exemplify. We have to be an example of it to our children. We have the biblical responsibility to teach our children. Our instruction must be based in God's word. We must internalize and exemplify what we want our kids to do in our own lives. Otherwise, this part of the equation, this part of the formula, it doesn't work. The whole formula gets thrown off that God has given us, right? If you get one value or one variable wrong in an equation, you get the wrong outcome. It's crucial that we render biblical instruction to our children because the next step relies on us setting our kids up in the way that they should go. Because when they stray from the way, it is inevitable, then our instruction needs to be reinforced by correction. That brings us to point number two, reinforced by correction. Render instruction and then reinforce it by correction. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. So we might say, discipline your children. Discipline your children. You can give clear and even biblical instruction to set your child on the way that they should go, but I guarantee at some point that child is going to stray off course, and if you don't reinforce your instruction with correction, the gap between where they are and where they should be will continue to grow wider and wider. Parents, this is so important. Because, listen, I know that there are all kinds of studies and philosophies when it comes to disciplining your child. Let's just take a look at what the Word of God has to say about it this morning. And I know that this can be a sensitive subject. And you guys don't really know who I am. But I believe that the Lord has brought us here today. So let's not avoid it. I believe the Bible teaches corporal discipline or spanking. I believe it should be administered with some sort of rod. We'll see that repeatedly in our study, not your bare hand. 
you know, most of us are familiar with the wooden spoon, right? Uh, my dad was a bit of a woodworker. He made an actual paddle. It's much thicker than a wooden spoon. It had some Proverbs verse stamped on it even. I couldn't tell which one. It was always moving too fast. I couldn't, I couldn't read it. Our rod of choice at home is a five-gallon paint stir stick. Uh, it should only be administered across the backside. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe that child abuse is an awful crime and a heinous sin. And unfortunately, some parents justify abuse in the name of discipline. This is wrong. Abuse can and does cause lifelong trauma and has detrimental consequences for the victim. However, the converse is also true. Too many parents withhold discipline, specifically spanking, believing that it is abuse. This is a lie that the world has fed parents and is equally as wrong as abuse according to God's design for discipline. Understand, biblical discipline is only ever for the benefit of the child. If it is ever done in a way that truly abuses the child, physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually, it should be stopped. The parent should repent and seek forgiveness from their child and get help. And I understand that for some of you in here, abuse may be a part of your childhood. And for that, I am truly sorry. That was never a part of God's design for discipline. And I know that his heart is broken over it. And so if that's you, I encourage you to talk to somebody. Talk to one of your pastors. Talk to someone in the church that you can trust that can help you with that. But for now, let's see what God says about discipline. And uh, I would ask that you would open yourselves um, to God's perspective on the subject. So we're going to take a, a brief look, a brief biblical guide to discipline. A brief biblical guide to discipline. The first point is to discipline out of love, not anger. Discipline out of love, not anger. This first verse may be a hard one to hear, but it's so important to set the context of discipline. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth, chasteneth him betimes. According to this, if you withhold discipline from your kids, you hate your kids. Parents will say that they can never discipline their kids because they love them too much. And that's why they only use techniques like positive reinforcement or redirection. And, and listen, those have their place at times. But if you truly love your child, you will do the hard thing and you will discipline them. Hate in this verse, it doesn't mean necessarily to detest or disdain. You don't disdain your children, but that you are against your children, right? You're not helping them by withholding discipline. Chasten is really a combination of instruction and correction. So part of that formula that we're looking at. Uh, B times, right? We don't really use that word too often, at least, at least I don't, unless you subscribe to the, you know, the weekly uh, honeycomb newsletter, the B times. Listen, it's Father's, it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. We had to have one dad joke at least. B times means early and diligently, right? Or as often as necessary. I don't understand how parents can say that they love their kids too much to discipline them because it makes no biblical sense. Look at it from the perspective of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
We just saw in the verse that introduced uh, this point, Proverbs 3.12, for whom the Lord, what? Loveth, he correcteth. Even as a, as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Right? We see this reiterated in the New Testament. Look at Hebrews 12, 5 through 8. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord, what? Loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. If you need correction in your life, because the Lord loves you, he will discipline you. He will chasten you. And he does it out of love. If he didn't, then you wouldn't be his son. Right? Growing up, my parents didn't discipline the neighbor's boy as much as he may have needed it. Right? They disciplined me and my brothers, some more than others. Right? Because we were their sons. Understand, when it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father, and when it comes to our relationship with our earthly children, discipline is proof of love. Discipline is proof of love. And that's why it's so critical to discipline out of love and not anger. Because the way we discipline our kids could have the opposite effect of correcting them or bringing them back into a right relationship with the family. Look at this warning directed to fathers. Happy Father's Day. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. When you discipline in anger... It provokes your children to anger. It ends up having the opposite effect of reconciliation. It results in discouragement and pushes you further apart. If you can't control your own emotions during a moment that requires discipline, then you need to stop. You need to make sure you get the godly perspective on what you're doing before you continue. Discipline out of love, not anger. Number two, discipline while they're young. Discipline while they're young. And let me just say this. Most of the specifics in this section are geared toward correcting younger kids. And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that you should bend your 16 year old son over your knee who's now taller than you, can drive and has a car or has a job, right? Discipline should look different for older kids and be age appropriate, but the principles still apply. If you're past the point of having young children, Disciplining becomes increasingly difficult. If you didn't start when they were little, okay? The same is true for discipling your children, by the way. Start young. Look at Proverbs 19:18. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy son spare for his crying. You want to do it while there is hope, right? In other words, while they're still young, because the older they get, the more difficult it is to effectively discipline them. And this just makes sense. If you don't require obedience from your kids when they're young and the little things, what makes you think that they'll obey you when they're big and the big things, when they're older, right? Remember when we started this section, I said, I guarantee that your child will stray from your instruction someday. And the longer you put off correction, the wider that gap grows. So is there more hope of correcting the path while they're uh, while they're on, that they're on, if they're just a few steps off, 
or if they've been off the way since adolescence. Right? It's just like a road trip. It's easier to correct your course when you miss a turn than if you've been headed in the wrong direction for three hours. Not that I know from experience or anything. It's obviously easier to adjust your direction when you're off by just a little bit. Anyone who has had children can attest. They seemingly defy your instruction immediately, right? You say, don't touch that. What do they do? They touch it, right? Right away. They touch it. Then what happens is that because they are young, we fail to discipline them. But that is precisely the time to discipline them. Now, is there still hope for your teenager to end up going the way he or she should go? Yes, absolutely, of course. But it won't be easy if you didn't start correcting them when they were young. So, get to work. Pray like crazy. All right? Number three, discipline to correct, not punish. Discipline to correct, not punish. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Do you know what is in every kid's heart? Foolishness, right? They're just like little fools running around. That's why we have age requirements for things in our society, like driving and voting, right? Although that doesn't always keep people from making dumb decisions. Because kids are foolish, there needs to be a process of maturity before they can be trusted with greater responsibilities. But do you know what will drive that foolishness out of your child faster than anything? Discipline. The rod. It's called the rod of correction for a reason. Because correction is the goal of discipline. Correction is the goal of discipline. That's why instruction and correction have to go hand in hand. Because foolishness is in their heart and a fool will despise instruction. Look back at Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools will despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15.5 A fool despiseth his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is is prudent. So the rod of correction that we saw in Proverbs 22.15 will drive that foolishness out of your child so that he or she will be ready to receive the instruction that we give them. So think of it this way. Correction makes way for instruction. Correction or correction makes room for instruction, right? It makes room for their in their heart for them to hear the instruction that you have for them. Correction makes room for instruction. The reason you have to tell your kids to do something over and over is because there's still too much foolishness in their hearts. So that requires more correction until they can heed your instruction. Look at Proverbs 29.15. The rod and reproof give wisdom that's the opposite of foolishness but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame we could say that foolishness is knowing it's wrong but choosing to do it anyway we could say that wisdom is knowing what's right and choosing to do it even when it's hard a child left to himself brings his mother to shame you know what we have a world full of children that have been left to themselves. Look at the mess that our kids are in today. Of our country. The confusion that they struggle with. The decisions that they have been permitted to make on their own without parental permission. 
God's design for the family has been completely flipped on its head. When it once was the father as the head of the family, it's now the children. They are running the household. All too often, parents wait to discipline, not to correct their child, but to punish their child. It's usually because they've reached this point of shame. They've let it go on too long. They've let their kids run things for too long, and they finally have enough. And they're not doing it to correct them. They're doing it to punish them because they're embarrassed. That's the wrong motive for discipline. The motive for discipline should always be to correct, to make things right. Not to punish because, well, the kid had it coming. Or because they offended you. Or because they embarrassed you at the grocery store. But you correct their foolishness so that they can be in a right relationship with you as their parent. And more importantly, so that they can be in a right relationship with their Heavenly Father. Because if we don't correct our child's disobedience to us as parents, then we are training them to disobey God. Let that sink in. In the book of Ephesians, God gives every member of the family a job. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your your husbands. And out of all the instruction God gives husbands and wives, kids have one thing in Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents, discipline your children to correct their foolishness and help them fulfill their role in the family. Number four, discipline with consistency. Discipline with consistency. This may be the hardest thing for parents, right? Because we're always so tired. Right? We're inconsistent in what or when and why we discipline. We discipline one one day but not the next for one offense but not the next time they commit it. Kids don't know if they're going to get in trouble the first time or the fifth time. We have to discipline with consistency. We saw this verse earlier, but let's go back and uh, take a look at the second half of Proverbs 19:18. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. When they know they're in trouble and they start crying, we tend to think, oh, poor baby, they've learned their lesson, right? When in reality, they've just learned how to manipulate you out of getting discipline. Sometimes we think it's not worth the fight. But let me tell you, it is worth it to discipline your children with consistency. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Now let me just say, this is, this is proof that biblical discipline is not abuse. Right? Abuse can lead to, to harm or worse. But when God tells us to do it, It's not going to lead to that. Proof that biblical discipline, it's not abuse. It's not the same thing. Verse 14, thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. That's a strong verse. And it may make some of us uncomfortable, but listen, I am pro-spanking. And the reason I am pro-spanking, the reason I am for spanking is because I am against sending my children to hell. Parents, love your kids enough to discipline them. Set them up on the way that they should go. Let's pick up in Hebrews where we left off earlier, Hebrews 12, 9 through 11. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. 
Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live, right? For those of us that grew up with parents that loved us enough to spank us, we respect them for it now, don't we? Like, I, I, you know, I love my dad. I'm very thankful for, uh, for the way that he led our household. You know, in the moment, it was not fun. And that's what we see comes next. Verse 10, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Uh, but he, return, uh, speaking of our heavenly father, but he, for our prophet, he disciplines us for our prophet that we might be partakers of his holiness. Our heavenly father chastens us for our profit to make us holy as he is holy. Verse 11. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, right? When I was a kid, I, I didn't enjoy getting disciplined. In the moment, in, for the present, it was grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. When discipline is taking place, neither the parent nor the child enjoys it. My mom used to say things like, now this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, right? And that was true because she didn't spank very hard. Now, on the other hand, we never wanted her to say, just wait till your dad gets home, right? The goal of discipline is not the act itself. The goal is the result of the discipline, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And that brings us to the final part of our proverbial family formula. Number three, it results in adoration. It results in adoration. So we render instruction, we reinforce it with correction, and the result, the solution, what we the outcome that we get is adoration. The result of instructing and correcting your children is a home where the parents love and adore their children and children that love and admire their parents. Proverbs 29:17 Correct thy son and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Who doesn't want that from their kids, right? As we saw that you are to disciple your children. And if you discipline your children, God promises that you will delight in your children. You will delight in your children. Isn't that what we want all of our homes to look like? Right? Full of love and adoration. Parents who delight in their children instead of resenting their children. I know that most parents love their children, but our world is full of parents who don't like their children. Because they have failed to instruct and correct their kids, they don't delight in them. There is no rest in their homes. So to catch a break, parents put a screen in front of their kids or spoil them with stuff, not as a reward, but as a way to pacify them. Instead of correcting their behavior, they are encouraging it because what gets rewarded gets repeated. And so this spirals into unruly children and unrested and resentful parents. That's not what God intended for the biblical home. You see, God has given us a formula for the family and it it's not as the world defines a family because they didn't institute it. God is the one that created this thing, so he's the one that gets to define it and design it. So to wrap things up, I want us to take a quick look at a family that messed this formula up and let it serve as a warning for the rest of us. The example of Eli and his sons. The example of Eli and his sons. 
We find the story of Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, in 1 Samuel. And we actually took a look at this yesterday, uh, or we took a look at this pa- these passages yesterday uh, in our kids' ministry training um, and the way that Hannah raised her son. Uh, but let, I want us to take a look at how, what Eli did. So now in, uh, in my, my Bible study app, the little header uh, when you get into this section, you know, they kind of give you um, – uh, section headers that like uh, this kind of what it's about <laughs> this one was eli's worthless sons right <laughs> wouldn't you hate to be reading a book about yourself you're like what they say about me so these are eli's worthless sons they were priests at the temple but it says that they knew not the lord right someone's lying on their resume they took advantage of the offering of the lord which caused the people to despise coming to the temple As a result, God delivers a message to Eli through young Samuel that he was going to destroy Eli's family. And let's just take a quick look at, 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 take a look at a snippet of that message. 1 Samuel 3, 13 through 14. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity, look at this, which he knoweth because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. Therefore, I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. Right? Here's the kicker in verse 13. Eli knew what his sons were doing. And the reason that his family is judged is not because his sons were so vile. It's because, look at the end of verse 13, that Eli restrained them not That's why God had to judge his family. Not because the kids were doing something bad, right? All all of our families would be destroyed if that was the case, right? All of our kids do bad stuff from time to time. They disobey, they disrespect, they defy, right? And we know it. But the judgment comes when we fail to do something about it, to correct it. Eli knew what his sons were doing. And he restrained them not. The result was not delight in his children, but instead destruction for his family. So let Eli's example serve as a warning for all of us. We have two destinations for our family, depending on how faithful we are. Our level of faithfulness to follow God's formula for leading our family will result in delight or destruction. It will result in delight or destruction. And we'll close out with this. We see this principle in Matthew, and let's apply it to leading our families. Matthew seven thirteen through 14. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to what? Destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. We have a world full of broken families. And if you want to take that path, you won't be lonely. But if you do what the world does, you get what the world gets. And that is the way that leads to destruction. Verse 14. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is what? The way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There is another way. It is the way, but that way is rigorous. That way is narrow. Not a lot of company on that path but it leads to life. That's the way that we want to go, and that's the way that we want our kids to go. 
And God has laid out the steps for us to get there with our families intact. Render biblical instruction. Reinforce it with loving correction. And the result is a biblical home as God designed it. Will you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today and...